And um, I would be a blessing to us, to me, if you would just let us know that you're watching and receiving the word, and uh, so we can count, count you as part of our weekend community experience, okay? So, there's a book. If you don't have one of our outlines, please um, lift up your hands and our ushers will get you one. There's a book published by the Department of Justice that no parent wants to read. The title is When Your Child is Missing. Some of the key bullet points of that book are you're, you're not alone. Um, hope is essential. In other words, things to think about. Um, another bullet point, distribute pictures. Keep your focus. Another one. Another bullet point, exercise caution. And the final exhortation is never stop looking. Parents will spare no expenses uh, in search for their missing children. The same is true with God. He has lost children who have gone the wrong direction and lost their bearings and lost their place in this life and have lost their vision for the next life. Many of you know people like that today. Perhaps they're in your family. Perhaps they're one of your children. So God, from the beginning, initiated this massive three-phase search and rescue strategy to find his lost children, his lost kids. And the first phase is Israel. And we learned about that phase um, in the Old Testament. So he introduced a nation. God wanted a nation through whom to show his character and his love, and, his, and to call his people back to himself. The second phase, if you will, was Jesus Christ. And we saw that over here in the New Testament when we kicked off Jesus' birth and we saw who he was and is. And we know from the Bible, from Scripture, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen? And so, we're, we are lost, and Jesus has found us, if you've surrendered your life to Him, um, and we found that Jesus Christ is the way back home, right? He was the way back home if you were missing, and all of us were at one point in our life. And now the third phase, if you will, the third phase is over here um, in this section over here. It's the birth of the church, okay? The third phase is the church. And today, we're going to look at the beginning of the church. Uh, in other words, something new is, is getting ready to get started, right? And uh, the title of this message is New Beginnings, obviously appropriate. Today, we're looking at the movement number four, and I've shared with you before that each time we have a new movement, a new section, we're in purple now, um, in the sign of the fish or the church, um, you should have this in your guest packet. Um, a, a bookmark that shows us um, the story of the church, okay? So you can have that for um, your Bible reading bookmark. It tells the story of the church, and uh, we won't go into that today for the sake of time, but you have it in front of you, okay? So we've just entered into the fourth section of our banner up here and our movements. It all, it all started the church, it all started in the upper room. <laughs> it all started in a place 
where Jesus was eating with them and, and uh, 120 cross-cultural cross missionaries um, got together in, in, in a place and formed the early church. And here's the deal. As I was reading this this week, going through the story in my Bible, um, I was reminded of the intimate role that the Holy Spirit plays in our daily lives. Can I get a good amen? I mean, today, if we're going to talk about the church and the beginning of the early church and the acts of the apostles, that's what the book of Acts is. It's the acts. It's what they demonstrated or what they did. We're going to talk about the acts of the, the apostles. We must, it's incumbent upon us to talk about the power, everyone say power, behind the early church and their acts. Okay? So, let's get started. Luke is um, known as the author, uh, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, of the book of Acts. He was writing down what he saw. He was recording what he experienced. And Luke writes in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, Jesus is with them. After he was raised from the dead, he was sitting there. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, um, a absolute um, show that he was raised from the dead physically, not just, he wasn't just Casper the friendly ghost, okay? He had physically been raised from the dead. He was eating with them. So on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but, everyone say that one word out loud together, but what? Wait. That was about 10%, okay? Let's all say that one word together out loud. One, two, three, what? Wait. Jesus tells them to wait. Wait. Wait for what? Wait for the gift. And now everyone say gift. He says, listen, before you leave Jerusalem, wait for this gift that my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John, now talking about his life on the earth, for John baptized you with water, but in just a few days, something's getting ready to happen. Amen? In just a few days, you will be baptized with the, everyone say that word together, the what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Jesus, Jesus is saying, wait, wait. You can't move forward. The church can't start until something happens. Something's got to happen. The church is getting ready to start, but you need to wait in Jerusalem because something, or rather someone, is coming. Everyone say someone. I'm not just talking about something. I'm talking about someone. And then we find out later in that same chapter in Acts 1.8, it says, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and in the, what, uttermost parts or to the ends of the earth. Jesus is telling them, just in case you're thinking about sort of rushing ahead and doing something on your own and trying to create something in my name, just in case, 
just in case you're going to ignore my instructions, I need to remind you, power is coming. Amen? Power's coming. And then later on in the upper room, as the day of Pentecost had fully come, they had gathered there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, and all of them were filled. Everyone say filled. Think about what that word means, filled. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This same experience happened to me when I was 12 years old, just a young punk. I had surrendered my life to the Lord earlier that night and had gone forward at the altar. Everyone say altar. Like Lance was talking about, the altar had gone forward to wait, just like those in the early church go to wait and to seek Him and to trust Him. And I was waiting upon Him and praying and trusting God for clarity in my life. And all of a sudden, the Bible says suddenly, the Bible says suddenly they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. And suddenly, that's exactly what happened to that 12-year-old. Now, you can't make this up, folks. It just, it happened. And I began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God enabled me and prayed in that language for hours and hours and hours until around 5 o'clock a.m. And finally, they took me back, carried me back to the bunks, my cabin, with the rest of my friends that were there. And it was an experience I will never forget to this day. Many of you know I... I took a sabbatical from walking with the Lord when I was 12 until about 20 when I returned to Him and surrendered my life to Him, my wife and I did. And during that time of surrender, God sort of ignited the baptism of the Holy Spirit back in me, and I began to pray in an unknown tongue again and experience that fruitfulness for my life um, to give me power. Everyone say power and have prayed in the Holy Spirit probably most every single day since 1976. It's a long time ago. And I can't tell you what it has done for my life, and I believe that God wants to do that for all of us as well. This is the power that Jesus was talking about. In fact, later, later in that same chapter, chapter 2, Peter references the Old Testament verse in Joel where he says this. He says in, in verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, in the last days, how many of you believe we're in the last days? <laughs> well, in the last days, of course, they have been, when he spoke of this, he was saying that we're in the last days. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Everyone say that includes me. Well, just a few of you said that. How many of you know that includes you? Yeah, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of confusion on this subject. There's some disagreement, controversy. The Holy Spirit, I think, has gotten a bad rap. Um, there's so many different opinions of who He is. But as I think we'll find out today in just a few minutes, 
um, his role is very important in our lives. It's critical. At Metro Believers Church, we believe in the whole Bible from Genesis to the maps, okay? All the way to the back of the book. Amen? And we call ourselves a, a charismatic or evangelical charismatic church, which simply means this, that we are tethered to the reality of Scripture. Amen? We place a high priority on the Bible. Many of you know when you come to church on Sunday, Scripture is like crazy, right? I don't just tell a story, you know, and talk about God, but we give you the Bible, right? We place a high priority on Scripture, and we teach decision theology, which is just simply this. Everyone's got to make a decision on their own for Jesus. You don't, you don't get saved by just coming to church or being good. You have to make a decision on your own to become a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the evangelical approach. Now, the charismatic side is that we believe that the infilling and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available for us today and did not pass away with the apostles. Okay? So just so you know, that's the kind of church you're in, and your pastor prays in tongues every day. So if that freaks you out, I'm sorry, um, but that's the truth of the matter. And um, I believe that every single one of us can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, okay? So uh, I believe that later on I'll tell you, you just simply have to ask for it and believe that you have received it, okay? All right, so don't get freaked out and say, well, I haven't prayed in tongues, but if you've asked, you've received. You just need to walk that out, amen? Now, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, okay? And it bears out in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14 where it says, out of the message, and the person who's responsible for writing the message translation of the Bible, Eugene Peterson, just recently passed away. Lost a great hero of faith there. Um, but the Message Bible says it this way. May the amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God. So you have Jesus, right? You have God and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you or be, be with all of you, okay? Now notice we have the Father, the Son, and the what? The Holy Spirit in the Bible. Of course, we have so many other places that, it's, that it is. But here's the deal. He wants to be an intimate friend. Notice that. The intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. You may want to underline that in your notes, highlight it, put a neon sign around it. Because he wants to be your closest friend. He's my closest friend. I talk to him all the time. Intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. See, most people are pretty familiar with God the Father, with God the Son, but are not that familiar with the Holy God the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to ask ourselves a couple of questions. First, who is he? And second, what will he do? Are you ready? Who is he? First, who is he? He's a him. He is a him. If you're right, taking notes, you can fill that in, that blank. I know that's bad grammar, 
But he's not an it. He's in him. He's a him. The Bible never refers to the Holy Spirit as an it. It's a him. It's very important for us to see him as a person, a him. Okay? Because if you don't believe that he's a person, you'll never have a personal relationship with him. Okay? Now, it's very important for us to see that. And in translating the Bible from Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament, sometimes they didn't have an English word to best describe it. That was true with the Holy Spirit. You see several different translations will call him out in different ways. King James said he was a ghost. <laughs> and, and nobody is a big fan of ghosts, right? So people wanted to stay away from that, you know, some people. Um, and then the NIV translated um, him as a spirit, and people couldn't necessarily relate to some of that as well. Both translations are not that far off, um, but missed, I believe, the most important part of who he is, because he is a person. And it's important for you to think of him as a person. Like I said before, Otherwise, you'll never have a personal relationship with him. Let me show you in Scripture, he is a him. Check this out in John 14, 17. Um, if you have your Bibles, your apps, or whatever you have, your notes. Speaking of the Spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, um, it says the, that the Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept, everyone say that word, what? Him cannot accept him because it neither sees what? Him, nor knows what? Him, but you know what? Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. So here's the deal. You don't get it, you get Him. Amen? Second, He is not weird. <laughs> He's not weird. The Holy Spirit, or my friend, is not weird. People are weird. Can, can I get a good amen for that? People do crazy things, and we have a preconceived idea based on what people have done in His name. And people have done all sorts of crazy things, um, you know, and blaming it on the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's to draw attention to themselves. Who knows what other motives are there? Satan, I believe the enemy... We talked about him a few weeks ago. The enemy has lied to us about him. He wants you to be afraid of him. He's given him a bad rap, and, 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 and he, he's even made believers super scared. See, Satan is the one that wants us to be scared of him because he knows that the last church, the early church that knew him intimately, healed the sick, raised the dead, and Thousands of people were saved in one day. In other words, revival broke out because of Him, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, <laughs> He said that He is so good, the Holy Spirit is so good, that it's better that I, Jesus, go away. Can you believe that? Jesus says, it's better for you that I get out of here and, and skedaddle. <laughs> Why? John 16, 7 says, I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, 
which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, he, I will send him to you. Wow. Amen? Most, most people think it'd be better if Jesus just, Jesus just kind of stayed here, and Jesus said it'd be better if I just leave, because the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. How many of you know he can be with you and me at the same time? Amen? I mean, he, he walks with me, and he talks with me. He tells me I am his what? Oh. We have these conversations on a daily basis. So if he's with me, how can he be with you? Huh? I mean, if he's with me, how can he be with you? Because he's omnipresent. He's omniscient, all-powerful. All, he's all these things. Jesus walked on this planet one man, amen? And he left and said, I'm going to leave somebody with you. It's called the Holy Spirit. Number three, he's good. He's good. That's who he is. He's good. Acts 10.38 says this, and you know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit who went about doing good and healing all those who were sick and oppressed of the devil because God was with him. He's good. Now, if you see the Holy Spirit, so-called Holy Spirit doing bad, it's not him. It's people masquerading as him or an angel of light trying to pull the wool over your eyes. He's good. Amen? Second or fourth, he's God. <laughs> he's God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just like you and I are three in one. The Bible says that we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Spirit, soul, and body, three in one. Try to... Try to separate them. You can't. We're one. When you look at me, you don't see, you know, my spirit, but it's there. You don't see my soul, but it's there. You see my body, you see one part. But how many of you know there's a greater dimension behind the scenes on me? Same is true with the Holy Spirit. He's God. Most of us are pretty familiar with God, like I said, and Jesus but not so much the Holy Spirit. He has his own personality. You can see this happening in the book of Acts throughout, and we'll talk more about this next week when we look at the life of Paul and his missionary journeys and how the early church began to blossom and be transformed. Peter, Peter said in, in Acts 5, and Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men, but you've lied to God. Notice when you lie to the Holy Spirit, you lie to God. They are one. Amen? Fifth, last but not least, and this is not an exhaustive list by any means. This is just a beginning start to get you familiar with the Holy Spirit who was the power behind the early church. And we can't talk about the beginning or the start of the early church without talking about the power behind it. Amen? Because otherwise, we'll be just like the disciples who never followed the instructions of Jesus to wait until something happened and try to do it on our own strength, in our own power, and we cannot do that. We can't live the Christian life in our own strength, in our own power. It's incumbent upon us to trust the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us live this thing called the Bible. 
please God and honor Him with our lives. Number five, last but not least here in this list, is He is my best friend. That's who He is. You want to know who He is? I'll tell you who He is. He's my best friend. I want Him to be your best friend as well. My prayer is that you would know Him in an intimate way, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit would be yours. Amen? Now let's talk about the second question. What will he do? What, what is the Holy Spirit designed to do? First, he will be with me. The Bible promises that he will be with me. For how long? Check this out. John 14, 16, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, another word for the Holy Spirit, to be with you for a couple of days. Is that what it says? To be with you for what? For what? Forever. In other words, he will be with you always, even until the ends of the earth. Amen? Listen, you are not alone. You may have felt lonely. You may have felt alone. But you are never alone. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You're never alone. The, word, the Greek word for the Holy Spirit is parakletos. It's paraklete. We, call, we say that. It's the, the definition of that Greek word is one called alongside to help. That's what he does. He's there. He's one called. The Holy Spirit is one called alongside you to help you. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> It's used in literature of someone who picks up the, under, the other end of a log that you're lifting. Oftentimes, it's used in several different methods of writings. He wants to help you carry your stuff. He wants to help you. He'll be with you. He wants to help you carry the stuff in your life. How many of you have been carrying stuff? S serious stuff. The Bible says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you a rest. Amen. Take my yoke upon you. Jesus is speaking. He wants to lighten your load. Amen? And there's a lot of words that describe him and used um, in Scripture. Interchangeable. Counselor. Intercessor. Helper. Advocate. Friend. In many places, he's translated as comforter. Comforter. Everyone loves a comforter, <laughs> right? Oh, it's warm. It's cozy, right? Vicky always wants a new comforter. She's the queen of comforters. Uh, yeah, for real. I mean, she's she's always. I mean, to show you what I'm talking about, we had this flood and had to get rid of a lot of stuff, and some we threw away, and some we were able to salvage, and some we took to donation at, at a grace. Um, and my wife cleaned out all her comforters that she had used, now no longer was needed. And she loaded up the back of my pickup truck, and I took them to a grace, and there was probably no less than an eight to a ten comforter sets. Come on. Yeah, she says it's much less. I don't know. It was a lot, right? Kind of filled up the back of my truck. Um, <laughs> Because there were so many comforters, yeah, and 
It's interesting. How many of you know there's a difference between a bedspread and a comforter? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ladies know what I'm talking about. You know, comforters are big and fluffy, and, you know, you can't, you can't wait to snuggle up in it and go to bed, and it feels so good, you know, to have a comforter. When we were first married, um, my wife announced to me, she said, honey, I really want to get a comforter. And I'm like, go get a comforter, you know. I mean, we didn't have two nickels to rub together. So I, I wasn't aware that you had to take out a second mortgage to get a comforter. <laughs> I didn't know how much those dudes cost, you know. And, uh, but here's the funny part is at the end of the day, you know, and you probably don't even remember this, at the end of the day, you would roll that comforter back down, you know, and I'd say, what are you doing? And she, you know, she'd say, well, this is not for use, this is for looks. I'm like, what? First I had to take out a second mortgage to buy the sucker. Now I don't even get to use it. I just can look at it. <laughs> Many believers are kind of that way with the Holy Spirit. You know, he's just to look at, right? You don't, they don't use the Holy Spirit. They don't tap into the power that's available to them. They don't embrace it and feel its comfort and embrace. They just kind of see it. Some here today need a comforter. You need to really understand the Holy Spirit and that He's there for you. Second, He will reveal the Bible to me. He will reveal the Bible to me. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. He, was direct, he directed each of the books being written. He knows how to bring each verse into everyday life. He will reveal the truths from scriptures to you. That word reveal or revelation is like turning the light on. How many has ever walked into a room and turned the light on and darkness turned to light? And all of a sudden you can see everything in the room. All of us. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit will do. He'll reveal. He'll turn the light on for you. So you can begin to understand and comprehend the Bible. Read the Bible every single day. John 14 says, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, same one, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Jesus said things to us. We need to walk it out and live the gospel, right? Well, the Holy Spirit will bring back to remembrance those things that He said. Wow! What a, an amazing truth. Holy Spirit will reveal the Bible to you. Third, He will help you share Jesus with others. You, you listen, that's the main purpose of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said would happen. He wants to empower Christians to share their faith with people who don't know the Lord. He wants you to be able to be bold, just like Peter before he was filled with the Holy Spirit, ran, denied Christ, cursed three times. And then he gets filled with the Holy Spirit and he stands up and makes a declaration. When he's crucified for being a Christian, he says, I, can't, I do not even deserve to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. I will be crucified upside down. Listen, he wants to fill you so you can be full of Him to fulfill your mission in reaching people around you. 
The Holy Spirit's job is to give you and I the words to speak. Amen? The Holy Spirit will give you the words. We saw that in Acts 1.8, but you'll be, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Fourth, he will convict you of sin. He'll convict me of sin. I didn't say condemn me for sin. He will convict me. This is one of the benefits that I love about the Holy Spirit is he will reveal my true condition when I'm in worship and seeking him and talking to him. He'll show me areas that I've gotten off track in a gentle, kind way. And not only will he show me where I'm off, but he'll show me how to get back on track. He'll convict us of sin. John 16, 8 says, when he comes, he'll convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to convict you. Amen? And last but not least, number five is he will guide me through life. He will guide me through life. Every decision, every thought, every idea, you can ask him his advice, and he'll speak to you and give you that inward voice and that inward witness, the direction of the Holy Spirit in my life not to misstep and get off track. John 16, 13, in your notes says, but when he once again, it's a he, a him, not an it. The spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. As we close today, as the worship team comes, I want to encourage every single one of us in this room. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Trust Him to fill you with His Spirit. The Bible says that He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. My question to you today is, have you asked? Have you asked? One of the main purposes of the Holy Spirit is to fill you daily. It's to fill you daily. Why? Why does He need to fill me daily? Because we leak we leak. <laughs> so we need that fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Would you stand with me today?